Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. This is all during the last week of Christ's ministry. He's been in and out of the temple, goes to the Mount of Olives, which is just across from the temple. Here it says, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately. Verse 4, Mark 13, 4, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? When we compared this Olivet Discourse here in Mark 13 with the with the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, Matthew records, part of the question was, tell us when will be the time of your coming? So we're talking about the end time events. When will be the time of the end? And when will be the time of your second coming? And we went through those first 13 verses and had eight signs of the end time. Then we had the abomination of desolation in chapter 13, beginning in verse 14, and we explained that a little bit. That, I believe, takes place in the middle of the coming tribulation. And then we also looked at chapter 13, verses 24 through 27, where Jesus prophesied his second coming. Then they shall see the Son of Man, verse 26 coming in the clouds of great power and glory. So we have the prophecy regarding the tribulation. We know from the book of Revelation and and the book of Daniel as well that that's going to be a seven-year period of time. Abomination of desolation takes place in the middle of that uh, tribulation when the Antichrist breaks his covenant with the nation of Israel. And now instead of standing with them, he is going to stand against them and will persecute the nation of Israel. That's all presented for us in the book of Revelation. And then, following the tribulation of those days, the Son of Man comes again. So we have the second coming of Christ. Now, Jesus is continuing his lesson to the disciples. In verse 28, where we pick it up tonight, Mark 13:28, Jesus said, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. The parable is a teaching tool and Jesus is going to use the parable to teach what should be done in light of these prophecies regarding the second coming or regarding the end time. So the parable was the parable of the fig tree. Learn a parable of the fig tree. We are not familiar with fig trees here in America. I suppose there are places where fig trees grow in America. 
It seems to me that we had a neighbor in uh, New Jersey that uh, had a fig tree. I remember somebody brought me a fig. It looks like a kiwi without the shell. We get figs, like in Fig Newtons, or figs that are dried, dried figs. But it's, and it tastes kind of like a pear. But he said, when the branch is yet tender and putteth forth her leaves, so you watch the fig tree, you know that summer is near. Fig tree, of course, is going to bear its fruit and so forth. So you can see by watching the fig tree what the time of year is. He says, so in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, and those are all the things we just reviewed. When you see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh, even at the door. Now in that verse, in the very context, the immediate context there, he doesn't say what the it is. Mark does not really tell us that the disciples asked about the second coming of Christ. They asked about when are, what are the signs of the end. When shall these things be? And if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, they were in the temple and around the temple, and Jesus said that the temple would be destroyed. There was a prophecy there or, or elsewhere that in three days he would rise it up. He's speaking about the temple of his body, not the temple itself. And the disciples said, well, the temple was 40 years in building, and you're going to see it destroyed. But he was also just, just prophesying the destruction of the temple. Historically, that took place in A.D. 70. Prophetically, I think it's going to take place again in the tribulation. I think there's going to be, many of us believe that there's going to be a tribulation temple and that the Antichrist will perform some sacrilegious something or another to defile and destroy the temple. So, that's what Jesus is talking about. You know from watching the fig tree when summer is near. So he says, in like manner, when you see these events coming to pass, know that it is nigh, even at the door. Let's review quickly. What are some of the things that Jesus is talking about? If you go back to that first part of the uh, chapter, Mark chapter 13, and review those eight signs that we looked at in the beginning of this chapter, the first thing was deception. There are many deceivers. And that's going to take place throughout the whole tribulation. People will cry out, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who's going to give you the answer. Many shall come in my name, chapter 13, verse 6, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars that will increase. I don't have the statistics of that. Different people have made studies of this. And you can mark down the number of wars and how they have increased over the years. Wars and rumors of wars, nation rising against nation. There will be increased natural disasters. We've seen an increase in that with uh, earthquakes. Throughout the book of Revelation, you'll see earthquakes occurring. Okay, so that's throughout the time of the tribulation. Now, we're not in the tribulation right now, but... If we see an increase of these things, it's the same principle. Judgment is coming. And as we approach those times, things like that, the famines, the earthquakes, the troubles, he calls it here. I think Matthew adds the word pestilences. 
There will also be an increase in persecution. That's verse 9. There is the worldwide revival or worldwide evangelism, I should call it. It would be nice if we had a worldwide revival. Worldwide evangelism, the gospel is going to be preached. I think that's particularly going to take place during the tribulation with the ministry of the two witnesses and the 144,000 Jewish witnesses that the book of Revelation talks about. I personally don't think that we need to be, not that we shouldn't be, be doing our best to get the gospel out, but there's a lot of people preach that we as Christians today in this church age need to preach the gospel to the whole world so that Jesus comes again. I personally don't think that's what the Bible teaches. I think that's this is a prophecy that the gospel is going to be preached and proclaimed in the whole world during the tribulation. My dad used to talk about that and, and when the you know technology and everything was uh, coming along and he thought, well, that's probably how it's going to happen. The whole world's going to see him on their iPhones or whatever. When John wrote that, when Jesus preached this, there were no iPhones. There was no technology like that. And so it could very well be that the gospel is going to be preached in the whole world. Revelation prophesies the whole world is going to see the resurrection of the two witnesses. And so the gospel will be preached. There's also going to be uh, divided families, brother against brother, sister against sister, and father against son, and so forth and so on. Those signs taking place, and of course, in the tribulation, we're not in the tribulation, but in the tribulation will be this abomination of desolation. So Jesus, back to our text in Matthew 13, or Mark 13, verse 29, excuse me, when you see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh, even at the door. So the signs, here's the first point of the outline, if you're outlining this, the signs point to the end. The signs point to the end. We noted this when we went through these signs. These are not signs for the rapture. They're signs for the end. When will the end be? That was the question the disciples asked here in Matthew, Mark 13 and Matthew 24. And he gives the parable of the fig tree. Now, notice under this, the signs pointing to the end he says, we are to know. When you see these things come to pass, verse 29, know that it is nigh. We're to know. That's the idea, that's the concept of staying alert, which he's really going to bring out in verse number 35. Watch ye therefore. Be alert. Look for the signs of the time, so that we can know when his return is near. We as Christians should not be taken by surprise that the Lord is coming soon. We should recognize the signs of the Lord's coming and the time of the end drawing nigh. Christ was saying that when these signs are seen, you can expect the results. The effect will be felt. Now, the second point of the outline is, and these what are these are going to be our critical warnings we've given we've been given the prophecy about these things signs are prophesied now the warnings like Jesus is saying okay i've war- i've given you the signs now i want you to be warned about this and so the first warning the signs point to the end the second warning the events 
occur rapidly. The events occur rapidly. Look at verse 30. Verily I say unto you. Okay, so Jesus is adding to what he just said. Just like you can watch the fig tree, know that these things are coming. They're even at the door. Verily, in addition, and truly an addition, I say unto you, that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. So it's going to happen in such succession right in the same generation. Now there's been a lot of discussion amongst Bible students as to what is a generation. We're still trying to ask that question as we study that this year with our theme, Reaching the Next Generation. What is a generation? Is it a 40-year period of time? Is it a word that has to do with the entire nation of, the, of Israel? Is that what he means by the generation? Or is generation a 20-year period of time? You know, generally you start having children about 20 years of age, give or take. So a new generation is generated every 20 years. I think what Jesus is saying is, that the generation that sees these signs will not pass until they are fulfilled. So, here's the warning. The events occur rapidly, in immediate succession. A lot of people say, well, you Bible people, you keep preaching about this stuff, you preach about judgment, you preach about the end coming, I'll believe it when I see it. You're not going to have time to see it. You're not going to have time to believe it. Paul the Apostle prophesied that when the Antichrist pops on the scene, he is going to be full of strong delusion so that the people will believe a lie. You won't believe the truth then. If you don't believe it now, the Bible says today is the accepted time. Now's the day of salvation. All right, so we encourage and urge people to, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. Not wait to see whether the prophecies that we've been talking about are going to come to pass or not. It'll be too late then. So now is the time. And these things will happen in rapid succession. There will be little time to get ready to meet the Lord. Now's the time to do it. So the events occur rapidly. We must keep that in mind. Again, there's two things that were questions in the minds of the disciples. One was the destruction of Jerusalem. And one was the end of the world. It doesn't take long for something to be destroyed, right? The disciples said to Jesus that the temple was 40-some years being built, Herod's temple. I forget how many years Solomon's temple was took to be built, but it takes a while to build it. We're, we're getting adept at building things. Maybe we do it, get adept at building things because we build things cheaply. I don't know, and quickly. So buildings do go up rather fast. It took... Noah, 120 years to build the ark, so it takes a while. But things like that can be destroyed in a matter of seconds, can't they? Tsunamis, tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, what you name, fires, whatever. And they're gone. Poof, they're gone. Jesus was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. It would happen like in a moment. And so the destruction that comes with the second coming of Christ it's going to happen in a moment. The events occur rapidly. The third warning we find. The events are a surety. The events are 
a surety, and therefore they're irrevocable. Verse number 31, he said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. You can believe what I say. The events that are prophesied by the Lord are a surety. Now, heaven and earth will pass away. That is coming. And everything that Christ has said, we have more than Christ's words on this. We have the, the, the words of all the prophets. And Christ is the word. And so all of that uh, put together, all that he said about the great tribulation and his return will happen. Again, the world listens to Bible preachers and Bible students and say, well, you guys have been prophesying this and preaching this for years about the second coming of the Lord. And they think it's just a bunch of baloney. They think it's just a myth or some story that we like to talk about to be encouraged. The Lord is coming back again. Of course, there have been many false prophets already. And they have come. And somebody says, well, I'm the Messiah. And people follow them. And, and then they lead them to certain destruction. And so that doesn't kind of help our cause when there have been all those charlatans out there crying out that they're the Christ and people following them. And so folks look at that and say, yeah, yeah, we've heard this business about Christ coming again many times. But let's look at Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. Many of the other New Testament writers say a lot about the second coming of the Lord. And Peter does this in his epistle, 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's begin reading at verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all these things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So they mock about that. And uh, let's go ahead and read those next couple of verses. For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflown, overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Some hard texts in those uh, verses there. But basically, Peter is saying the judgment is coming. Then verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. That's a statement regarding the surety of what God is going to do. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. Yes, he gave it way back there with the fathers. But he's not slack concerning his promise that he will come again, as some men can slackness. But he's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he's waiting. And then he says, but the day of the Lord will come. It's a sure thing. It will come as a thief in the night, into which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. And the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. 
Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. This promise is sure. So the events that Jesus is prophesying are a surety. They are certain. Now, let's go back in our text of Mark. We've already read these passages in previous messages, but there, in this Olivet Discourse, there are three things that are mentioned that will happen in human history. And they, are, they will be sure. Mark 13, and let's look at verse 8. Mark 13, 8. Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. All, right? All of these events are the beginning of sorrows. They are sure events. They are certain to happen in human history. Look at verse 24. But in those days, after that the tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. We're talking about the tribulation. The tribulation will come. And it will be a great tribulation such as there was never before in the world. And then the Son of Man will come. And that is verse 26. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. So the beginning of sorrows, the great tribulation, and the coming of the Son of Man. All of these are sure events that are yet to happen, but will happen. And of course the heavens and the earth will pass away as he mentions here. Alright, warning number four. The exact time is unknown. Verse 31 said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So it's sure. But of that day, and that hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. The exact time is unknown. Now, the day or the hour are not known to anyone. God alone knows when Christ is to return. The general time will be seen by expectant believers. Jesus already said in verse number 29, Like you see the fig tree... In the same manner, when you see these things begin to happen, know that it is not. But you're not going to know the, the exact hour. So the exact time is unknown. Now this verse 32 is an interesting verse because this verse tells us that God the Father is the only one who knows. What about God the Son? I thought God the Son was omniscient, knowing all things like God the Father. Isn't that true? Isn't that good theology? That is good theology. Let's take a peek at a verse, however, in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Jesus became a man. And when he became a man, he took on him the form of a servant. And this verse, this passage of scripture here in the book of Philippians chapter 2, tells us that the Lord gave up some of his divine attributes. He didn't stop being God. But he, but for whatever reason, he does not use those attributes. Verse 5. Let's begin reading at verse 5. Philippians 2.5 Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. 
and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's an interesting thought. We talk about this not knowing. So, theologically, what we do with this, and people will criticize the Bible and say, oh, see, if Jesus is God, he should be like God and know everything. This verse that we looked at, Mark, uh, what was it, 13 and verse whatever, uh, 33, 34, tells us that Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back again. He's waiting for the Father to say, go and bring the children. Go and get your saints. Well, Philippians tells us that Jesus took on the nature of man. He became flesh and blood. And therefore, he voluntarily surrenders and limits himself to the nature of man. We find in his life and ministry, he becomes hungry like a man. And of course, the devil comes and tempts him. So, well, why don't you turn some stones into bread? You won't be hungry anymore. And evidently, Christ limits himself in knowing the future except for when he's supposed to come back again. There's not a contradiction in the Bible. You either believe what the Bible says and say, hey, looks like an apparent contradiction, but it's not a contradiction, or you're a skeptic and say, well, that's a contradiction. I can't believe the Bible. Which way is it going to be? You can't have it both ways. Either the Bible is right or the Bible is wrong. Which way is it going to be? Well, I choose to believe that the Bible is right. The Bible says we're supposed to operate by faith. As a Christian, of course, that faith has been solidified as we watch and study and, and, uh, and observe the Lord and walk with Him and so forth. So, there's not a contradiction here. This is Christ subjecting Himself completely to the Father. That's an interesting thought. Christ subjecting himself completely to the Father. That means that Jesus had to live in the Father and be taught by the Father. Theologically, what we say, now Philippians doesn't say this in our King James text, but uh, we say that Christ emptied himself in order to uh, cast himself perfectly upon the Lord. Let me show you a couple of verses that will help explain this. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 8. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 8. Again, Jesus does not cease to be God. That's not the case. But he, he chooses not to use some of his divine attributes. Hebrews 5 and verse 8. It says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Why would Christ, who is God, have to learn obedience? Because he's subjecting himself, he's subjecting himself completely to the Father. I never thought about this before, but the, the thought came across that what Jesus is doing, he's saying, okay, teach me, saying to the Father, teach me how to be an obedient son, how to do these things. So if the Lord made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of human flesh. 
He's saying to God the Father, teach me how to be an obedient son. Listen, if Jesus did that, where does that put you and I? We need to learn this obedience as well. We need to subject ourselves completely to the Father as well. I need to give you another warning. The cry is a need to watch and pray. Mark 13, verse 33. Take heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house, and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch, Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. So the cry is a need to watch and pray. This is Dr. Lee Hennies, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached at church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again. (laughs) 